The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and strategies to shake up the status quo in human resources and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. We have an important topic today. I don't think we've covered it in three seasons of HR Trends, long overdue. The word, the word on the street, the buzz is burnout. Okay, let me get started. In our era of hyper-connectivity and 24-7, 365 global demands on the workforce, employee burnout is becoming a key contributor to what a lot of a lot of organizations are finding, a lack of engagement, a loss of productivity. It is spreading like wildfire, and it's not a good thing. But first, let's talk about what is burnout. I found a definition at the Mayo Clinic staff, an article online, mayoclinic.org. Let me read you a statement here and then a couple questions for the audience, and then we'll get moving on to introduce our panelists. Job burnout is a special type of job stress. It's a state of physical, emotional, or mental exhaustion combined with doubts about your competence and the value of your work. Ooh, does that sound familiar? Let me ask a couple of very pertinent questions here. Everybody in the audience, listen and do a sound check, a check on yourself, and, and you'll only you will know the answer. Have you become cynical at work? Are you critical? Are you disillusioned? That's one way to look at it. Do you have to drag yourself to work and you have trouble getting started once you're there? Hmm. Are you irritable and impatient, more than usual, I might add, with your coworkers, your customers, or your clients? That can be a dangerous symptom. Do you lack satisfaction from your achievements, even if you are still achieving a lot? Here's another very, very tough question. Are you using food, drugs, or alcohol to feel better or... Perhaps worse, to simply not feel at all. And are you troubled by unexplained headaches, backaches, or other physical complaints, or see a major change in your sleep habits or appetite? I know, I know, it sounds like the classic definition of depression, but we're putting it in the context of workplace burnout. So, now I have to talk to the managers in our audience. If we agree that always on is the nemesis of commitment and productivity, maybe it's time for you to take a closer look at your company culture. Burnout is insidious. It can spread from employee to employee, department to department, and it can spread across the entire organization. That's not what you want. So take heart. Your management team and individual employees can banish burnout. I know, I know. We have two panelists who are going to help us figure this out. They're both very smart. This is part of what they do, and they're going to share a lot of wisdom with us. So are you ready to learn how? Let me start. The experts speak, and first up on the panel is Allison Ellis a graduate student at Portland State University. And Alice has, Allison has sent me a quote from the World Health Organization as follows. Health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. 
Allison Ellis, welcome to HR Trends with Game Changers. How are you? Hi, Bonnie. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me on today. Um, I picked this quote because I really like it. It's actually an old quote. It comes from the 1920s, and it's been kind of the position of the World Health Organization for a really long time. But essentially what it boils down to is that the absence of disease is not health. And we can really say the same thing, I think, about how we think about and study burnout at work. So essentially what I mean by that is that the absence of stress is not well-being. So I recently watched a TED Talk online where Sean Aker, he's a notable positive psychologist, and he talked about this, and specifically in the context of what he called the happiness advantage. And he cited a number of different studies, both within and outside of the organizational management psychology literature, that really just showed that when we operate from positive as opposed to kind of negative or neutral states, we're more creative, we're more productive, um, we're viewed more positively than other people, and essentially we're, we're just more successful. So I think when we, when we think about burnout, I like to have this more holistic perspective, which is not only how do we kind of eliminate or alleviate burnout, but how do we then take people from that neutral state to a positive state? Because that's where I think we're really going to see some of these longer-term benefits in the form of you know, greater motivation, greater performance, and ultimately achieve what we think of when we think of well-being. Thank you very much, Allison. I appreciate it. It sounds like a very holistic approach to burnout versus wellness. Let me ask you a question. When I asked these questions, this self-check, if you will, from the Mayo Clinic, did any of that ring true to you? Are there any of the symptoms I mentioned, Allison Ellis, that would be on the top of your list if you were to reorganize this list? Well, certainly. I mean, <laughs> you introduced me as a graduate student, so that's kind of what, uh, our mantra is, how do we defeat burnout in the midst of getting our PhDs? But, um, <laughs> um, Very good. good. Go know, ahead. One of the things that, that one of my advisors and some other students told me when I very first came into this program was you really need to find time to exercise and have a life outside of school and have an identity outside of school and work. And I think that's it's really true. And, and it is very easy when the workload starts piling up and the deadlines start piling up to just put in more hours and more time and more kind of investment of your energy. And before you know it, you know, you're doing this for weeks upon weeks or months upon months, and it can really kind of take a toll. So I think certainly the kind of emotional exhaustion component is something that we see a lot when we um, talk about kind of the psychological aspects of burnout in the workplace. It's one of the first sort of uh, kind of components of burnout that that we see in terms of symptomology. So um, I think that piece is really important. Thank you very much. I appreciated the ha-ha, and I know it wasn't a joke, but yes, you are a graduate student, and yes, this is part of what you do. And, and I'm going to reflect also, many of us in the workforce, uh, myself included, we feel this need to work almost 24-7, even though we're way past graduate student age, because we have a commitment and a passion, but it takes its toll if not kept in check. Thank you for the great intro, Allison, and let's welcome your co-panelists today. We just have two on the panel, but they're so smart. We only need to. So there, it's Stacy Perrin at SAP. And Stacy has sent me a wonderful quote from the lyrics from Everybody Put Your Seatbelt On Now. It's my, my, hey, hey, out of the blue. Not sound familiar? Well, you all know Neil Young and Def Leppard, and this quote has been used later on, I think, even in lyrics by Kurt Cobain. But the quote is, it's better to burn out than to fade away. What a great line. Stacy Perrin at SAP, welcome. How are you today? 
Hey, Bonnie, I'm doing well, thank you. I think I was having a an Ali McBeal moment when you told me what today's topic was, and Jeff Leopard showed up in my living room. So, um, I think you know this this phrase rings true for all of us. I think if you think about it, Neil Young in the '70s, Jeff Leopard in the '80s. We get into, you know, unfortunately, Kurt Cobain in his last letter in the 90s, reinforcing this topic of it's better to burn out than to fade away. And I couldn't help but think, no wonder where we've come to this age of always on. Um, I mean, when was the last time somebody said tiptoe through the tulips to you, right? It's, it's, uh-huh. it's this age of constantly having to be available, constantly having to be going, and this theory that it's better to burn out than, than to not, than to not be known for something. And I think, I mean, the truth is, if you as a company or as a people manager are sending this message to your employees, then uh, my, my, hey, hey, you can expect the result you're promoting. And um, I think it will be most important that you realize that this is going to affect your most dedicated employees, your most passionate employees. Those who really want and care about what they're doing are the ones who are going to burn out. Um, and we really need to be aware of that. And companies and managers need to change their message or they can expect employee burnout and a company that fades away. Very, very well put. Thank you, Stacy. And I, I just want to reference, in researching this topic for the show today, I found an article on Forbes by a lady named Kathy Caprino, C-A-P-R-I-N-O. A lot of people are retweeting it. So I tweeted it at hashtag SAP Radio, those of you who are online and enjoy Twitter. And the title is How to Cure Your Burnout Without Quitting Your Job. And I think that's the point from the employee perspective as well as the management perspective. Wouldn't you agree, Stacy? It's don't fade away. Deal with the burnout. Come back strong. Don't quit your job, but figure out a way to cure it or get around it. Would you agree that that's that's the goal of our conversation today, Stacey? Absolutely. And not just cure it. We need to set an entirely new culture. We need to get away from this culture of enforcing burnout and enforcing living at your job and instead enforcing getting back to that true work-life balance, which encourages more of your life. There you go. Thank you very much. Good opening from both of you. And now I have the key question of the day. This is our little storytelling segment. I like to think it's the key question of the day. And guess what? It keeps my panelists from burning out on the show. That's why we do it. A little bit of storytelling and a little bit of a smile. So, Allison, Ellis, I'm going to ask you if you're calling from Portland State today where you are and what's in your cup today or what do you wish you were drinking after the show? Allison? Well, I am in Portland, yes, and as you may or may not know, it's always rainy and cloudy here, which is very sad, Ah, so it can actually contribute to burnout, go figure, Um, but so what I like to drink is a Kona coffee, so coffee that's produced in Hawaii, and I really love it, and it reminds me of being in Maui, where my husband and I honeymoon, so every day on our honeymoon, my husband would go downstairs in the morning, and he would go to this little coffee shop on the hotel property and bring back coffee for us. And it always had a little bit of cinnamon and a little bit of cream in it. So that's how I make it at home, especially when it's cold and cloudy. And it reminds me of sitting on the beach and just being warm. Oh, that's such a nice story. By the way, you, you know that I lived in Eugene, Oregon, just south of Portland for, for mm-hmm. oh, I don't know, about 10 years. What's the weather out there today? Is it the usual cloudy and gray? And Yeah, ugh. it's gray and cloudy. <laughs> we have Typ- a longer summer, actually, but... But it's getting into winter finally, so it's, it's rainy. 
I remember those days. Yes, never run anywhere without an umbrella or be prepared for a curly hair day. That's just the way it is. Uh, Right, exactly. And let's go to our other panelist today, Stacey Perrin. Stacey, where are you calling from? Give me a little weather report, and then what are you drinking, or what do you wish you were drinking? Ah, I am calling from my home office in not-so-sunny California. We're actually experiencing Portland, Oregon weather this morning. (laughs) So... I would love to have a cup of coffee, and when I think of it, um, one of the one of the best I would say what I really love is to be back in Fiji, having some uh, kava ceremony with a cannibal tribe that we visited years and years ago. And as odd as that sounds, <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, you have to explain that one. <laughs> besides the fear invoked of let me drink more kava to get through the ceremony before they eat me, right? <laughs> oh my God! We had a, it was a great ceremony. You know, it was a a great a great ceremony with um, kava, which it's a, a tea almost made from kava roots that they drink there. It's a relaxing tea, and the thing I think I loved most about that was the the camaraderie of such a small village. Everyone was it was taking care of each other. The women of the village cooked us dinner. We sat and had this great dancing, clapping ceremony to have this wonderful drink with the chief of the village. And it just reminded me of the old saying, it really takes a village. It was, it was that feeling of, I, I say of camaraderie, of really feeling cared for amongst each other. And I always hope that we can bring that back in our work atmosphere as well. Oh, I love that. We have to get that, we have to get that drink here for everybody then. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. By the way, surprise, surprise, it's a beautiful sunny day but a little cold here in New York. And I know I hear that we're expecting the polar vortex to take effect any day now, any minute now across the northern U.S. states. So anyway, so much for it. Let's see now. What am I drinking today? Well, in case you're interested, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. Stacy, I wonder why. There you go. Guess what? My two panelists are getting ready ready for a very, very interesting roundtable. We're going to go a full 30 minutes, just the two of them with me moderating. So they've got a lot of work to prepare for. I'm going to give them both a break, just a short one though. So if you haven't guessed already, our topic today is how to prevent burnout in the age of always on. And yes, it is. And yes, we are. And if you are suffering from burnout or you have in the past or you know someone who is the expertise we're going to get from our two panelists today, Allison Ellis, a graduate student at Portland State University, and Stacy Perrin at SAP. We'll talk a little more about her job in a few minutes. Uh, they're going to share some expertise, insights, points of view that can help very, very much in your workplace, for you, for your teams, for your management, for your whole organization. So this is a how-to today, very important. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break. We'll be right back. Michael, out. <music> Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. 
The bottom line, you need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.com. D.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Here we are. Welcome back. Took a brief break, and my panelists are ready to go. We're going to do a 30 minute roundtable with Allison Ellis at Portland State University and Stacey Perrin at SAP. Let's kick off this part of the show with some notes that Allison Ellis sent me before the show. Allison, I'm going to read one of your talking points here, and then we'll have you just take it away, and we will have Stacey chime in and add her thoughts. So you say the concept of resources, and I don't think we've mentioned this in our opening yet, the concept of resources is important to understanding how burnout occurs. According to one prominent theory in burnout research, and I didn't even know there was such a thing as burnout research, by the conservation of resources theory, resources can be a number of different things that someone values. We might value material things like our shelter and our money to less material like status, energy, or time. So, Allison Ellis, why don't you develop this thought for us and take it away? Yeah, sure. So so this theory was really um, developed to be kind of broad and applied to the human experience in general. But over the last several decades, it's been applied predominantly in the context of work. And it really is a useful theory, I think, and a useful way of thinking about resources and something that kind of intuitively makes sense. So when we ask people sort of what they what they feel like when they're burned out, you might hear people say things like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm out of energy or um, I need to get away to kind of recharge if they talk about going on vacation. So a lot of this sort of um, notion that we're empty, kind of, we have nothing, no gas left in the tank. And so... I sort of think of, of that metaphor as, as a proxy for this intuitive understanding that we need resources. We need things um, to, to feel energetic and to um, invest our time and our effort into work. And so this idea of resources that comes from conservation of resources theory is that there's some primary drivers, things like, um, you know, shelter and finances and some of these things that, that are really valuable to us. And then there's other things that are sort of secondary, and these are things like our work, our time, our energy, our money that can help us achieve those things. And what happens is when we, when we start to lose those resources or if those resources are threatened in some way, we start to experience stress. So if we're, if we're out of time, for example, we've, I think you've talked before on your show about things like work-family conflict. So if we don't have enough time to meet our roles in both of those domains, that can be stressful. So it's this idea that our resources are sort of finite, and when we use them up in the process of everyday life, 
um, and they're not replenished, then that can be really stressful. So this, I, the idea is that these resources, or actually the lack of resources, sort of accumulates over time. And so, uh, you know, this is really kind of central to the notion of burnout. We think of it as sort of a, a loss begets more loss that begets more loss, and essentially we're just out. And so that's really that, that state of burnout. Thank you, Allison. I'm thinking when people say, I just don't have the time, I don't have any time, mm-hmm. I'm out of time, Is the, they're talking about time as a resource. Is that the, the, the relationship exactly. to this? Interesting. That's so exactly we, we Right. So, so things like time can be resources. A lot of what I study in my own research are resources like a sense of self-efficacy or a sense of being in a positive mood or having positive emotions. And so these are all sort of kind of personal resources um, that we, we carry with us day to day from our home to our work to school or whatever it may be. And we really need those resources to deal effectively with the demands of work. And so when we feel like we don't have those resources, um, that can be very stressful. And if we, if we continue to feel that over time, that's kind of where we see this sort of resource depletion happening. And that's where people start to report, um, yes, I feel burned out. Yes, I feel exhausted emotionally or cognitively. Thank you, Alice. It re- reminds me of an old phrase. Uh, you may be too young, and Stacy may be too young to remember it, but they used to say, if you want a job to get done, and not necessarily referring to in the workforce or the workplace, but in life in general, you want to get a job done, ask a busy person. They'll always have the time. They'll make the time. They'll find the time. And we've probably all been just forcing these busy people who have hearts of gold, of course, to say, sure, I'll do it. Ugh, one more thing to commit to. One more th-. So we probably have been, been instituting burnout all across the board for years. Stacy Perrin, I want to hear your thoughts on this. What do you think about this conservation of resources theory? Does it resonate with you? Well, absolutely. I mean, if you think of it in any in any any minute of your life, right? If you turn on a light and you leave it on endlessly, eventually it's going to burn out. If you have your iPad using it nonstop, eventually it's going to shut off. It has to recharge. And we as humans need to accept that we are the same. We cannot just keep going nonstop and not expect to not have to recharge ourselves. I think another aspect of this, though, is that we have so many resources now that we're overusing all of our resources, right? There's, you don't need to use every single thing that's out there just because Twitter's out there, just because Facebook's out there, just because <laughs> all of these new advances in technology are out there doesn't mean you have to use them. At some point, we need to monitor ourselves and make sure that we're using what we need when we need it and rely on our support system resources to help us realize when we are hitting that point of exhaustion, of getting irritable and angry and not quite functioning at our best. Stacy, I'm going to challenge you on that because I'm going to say, but having all these resources is fun. Who doesn't want to say, hey, I put out 22 tweets today, and yeah, I updated my Instagram, and, and uh, yeah, I turned on the GPS, and all my friends know I'm going to the movies. And by the way, I added two more blogs this week, and I, I uh, authored another white paper for work, and I put a blog on Forbes, and I'm going to run a seminar tomorrow. Look at me. Aren't I great? <laughs> Isn't this what people think they're supposed to be doing, Stacy, Talk to me. I- Hashtag look at me. Isn't this how we're thinking now? Everything is in a Twitter feed or a Facebook post or something on LinkedIn. How is it going to benefit me online? What is it really doing for us? At some point, you have to stop and think about it. I mean, I truly believe that 
we have set up this gamification on new technology, which is fun, which is exciting, which is great. All the world's a stage for everyone at this point. But at some point, you could make the argument that this new technology gamification is almost like the addictive elements that they were reported to have put in cigarettes, right? Who doesn't want another like? Who doesn't want your stuff to be retweeted? Who doesn't want that affirmation? It, it's almost like Pavlov's dog theory, right? It's like you keep... You keep going out and trying to get that next like, trying to get that retweet, trying to get somebody to acknowledge what you said was important, but you never know when it's coming. And so you keep trying for it. When it comes, yay, you want to do it again. And when it doesn't come, you keep looking for the next tweet or you know post, whatever it is, to get that affirmation again. It's an endless cycle that's going to lend to burnout. Wow. Allison yeah. Ellis, I have, to, I have to hear from you. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I would, I, I totally agree 100%, and I would actually argue that all of these these technology resources in some ways are really outlets or vehicles for us to be constantly switched on, and in, in that, by that I mean that we're, we're constantly investing effort, and we're constantly thinking about work, and that, that process is, is really using up resources. So even though they might seem like resources because there are a lot of different modes now to use them and to get our work out there, it's really actually asking us to stay engaged all of the time. And when we're engaged, we're using our resources. So just exactly like Stacey said, when the light bulb is on, we're using up resources, right? So if we're always thinking about our our tweets or um, our white paper or our email or whatever it is, we're not allowing ourselves to really switch off. And I think that's the, the really important piece for burnout because some of the research around this is, is strong in that it argues that we have to have that time to switch off um, in order to sort of rebuild and replenish the resources that we, that we need in order to do our work in a sustainable way. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to ask Stacy a personal question. I asked you what your Twitter handle was, and you it was before the show because you know we tweet actively during the show. And Sylvia and Stephen and I are doing it right now. Hashtag SAP Radio. I said, Stacy, what's your handle? What what hashtag should we use to promote you? And you said something to me in an email like, I don't do that anymore. And, and in fact, <laughs> saying to me, I don't feel the need to be always on, and Twitter is not in my circle of things. I absolutely must do. Stacy, how did you wean yourself off of Twitter or were you ever on? What Just share a little personal note of help to our listeners on how they can cut back. Hey, absolutely. So, you know, years and years ago, I owned a retail store. In addition to my corporate life, I had a clothing boutique. And in that world, Facebook, Twitter, all of the social media was really important to the vibrancy of that store. And so when I was going to fashion shows in Los Angeles, yeah, tweeting all day, all night, going through it nonstop, hashtag everything. It was, it was an always, always on type of environment. Um, what I realized after I sold the shop was that I really, it's really important to me to have time with my family. And so I want more time to be able to look at the things that are really important to me and to my vibrancy as a person. And when I'm fulfilled in that way, I don't need to be online all the time, and I bring more to my corporate life. Thank you. 
brief and to the point. I like that very much. Now, <laughs> it's time for me to look at a different, slightly different topic, a way of looking at this uh, in terms of is it just us who are bringing this on by ourselves or this competitive need to look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing, prove to your managers how hard you're working and how committed and how passionate you are, and then the burnout comes. So I want to look at what organizations are doing on the other side of the coin. Stacy. I'm looking at your notes, and I'd like to read one and then have you expand it. You say companies are spending more and more money to add well-being benefits, and you have those in big quotes, on campus. They've got yoga sessions. They've got coffee corners. They even have massages, as well as giving employees car washes and oil change days, really, bike repair services. You're kidding. Dry cleaning pickup, farmer's market pickup service. Oh, my goodness. She says, damn, I forgot to place my order. So Stacy comments, this all sounds great, but through these services, aren't we really encouraging our employees to spend even more time at the office? Isn't that the new age definition of work-life balance? Bring your life to work and you can do everything here. So stay 24 hours. We'll make it easy for you. Stacy. OMG, talk to me. What is happening here? Well, isn't this the truth, right? I see this yes. more and more, especially in Silicon Valley, where uh, we keep hearing the whole, it's the cliche phase of work-life balance. But I think more and more companies that I'm seeing are encouraging life at work. It's not the balance. It's bringing what you need to the office and creating your own little community at the office. And if that's the case, when are employees really taking time to recharge and leave leave their life of work at work and go home and be home with their families or be home and out on their own bike rides with their friends? When are we getting away from the office if we're bringing all of life into the office? I don't understand how we can expect to detach and meditate if you're sitting in a yoga session with your colleagues thinking of that paper that you've got to get done for them. It's just, it's this always on atmosphere. And I really think companies need to start looking at getting away from that, at allowing employees to detach from work, not bringing life to work, but detaching from work. Work is work. Go live your life outside of work. Um, one of the great, one of the great pieces of information I found was from um, Compsych, who is an employee assistance provider, and they found that 38% of employees can't stop thinking about problems like emotional health, financial, and job concerns. And if we're meditating on them in yoga sessions at the office, well, how can we stop thinking about them? Um, We really need to take a different look at the culture that we're setting at our offices. I want to ask Allison Ellis, are you finding the same thing in your graduate student life at Portland State? Uh, you don't have to say an awful lot. I don't, I don't want to put anything down here, but are they making it so easy for you to stay either always in the lab or always in the library or always attached that you have trouble with that balance? What's the, what's the graduate school side wow. of what Stacey? It would be yeah. awesome if we had massages in graduate school <laughs> 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 and car washes. No, I think it's a good question. I mean, these are really important sort of, I guess, non-work hassles. You might even look at them. So some of these things like getting our oil changed or getting our bike repaired or picking up our dry cleaning, these are some of those things that, that are responsibilities outside of work that can definitely creep into sort of our work time. And so from that perspective, I think it's great that organizations are willing to offer some of these benefits to help alleviate or kind of facilitate some of that work-life balance. But I couldn't agree more that this this idea of being constantly surrounded by not only the work environment, but your your coworkers and just constantly being reminded of, of work and, and everything that comes along with that is, is not 
great, I think. Um, my advisor, Dr. Charlotte Friston, and her advisor, um, Sabina Sonnentag, have done a lot of research on this notion of psychologically detaching. And we find over and over and over again with repeated um, samples from a lot of different orga- a lot of different organizations and industries that when we detach, even if it's just for a lunch break or even if it's just at the end of the day, when we really physically and mentally remove ourselves from from work, that is when we see people coming back to work the next day, more engaged, more excited to be at work, ready to work, um, and and that translates into performance behavior. So we see people who are able to detach and, and recover in other ways are able to come back to work and they're uh, you know, they're better at doing their core task jobs, but they're also more helpful for their colleagues. They're um, more willing to take initiative. So there's a lot of, I think, benefits to taking that time to step away. And unfortunately, a lot of these programs are really not allowing that. I think something else that kind of comes to mind is, is the notion of, of the aging workforce. And so one of the things that we're dealing with right now in, in the workforce is that we have a lot of older adults that are still working and will eventually be transitioning to retirement. And one of the things that is uh, I've heard over and over again is that when our identities are really consumed by the work that we do, that transition to retirement can be much more challenging and as opposed to if somebody has, you know, activities or uh, friends or other connections outside of work that help to form a non-work identity. So I worry that that when everything that we do is attached to our organization, um, what happens to older workers when they do retire? And maybe what happens to even younger workers when they switch to another organization and they have uh, not only the stress of changing organizations or jobs, but then the stress of having to redo all of these other non-work aspects of their life and figure out, okay, now where do I get my car washed, where do I get my oil changed and all these other things. So you got to put it together. Very, very interesting yeah. point about the boomers aging out. And I'll just tell you, being a boomer myself, I have several friends who retired in their 50s. And the ones who are happiest in their retirement, Allison and Stacy as well, the ones who are happiest in their retirement have found something that is an overwhelming and consuming passion. One plays tennis six days a week, up to three or four hours a day with people of many different ages, including people half his age. Another one uh, does stand-up comedy at open mic nights all over New York. He collects gigantic fish tanks and spends time keeping the fish healthy and trying to let them not die and uh, and writes plays and, and creates uh, silly videos and they have had to in, invest in and these have nothing to do with what they did in their work life in their careers but yes it is a challenge and I will just add a very uh, a very dire comment here Allison to yours Allison sometimes retiring can be deadly if you haven't planned for it and being consumed by your job can be the antithesis of being able to do that so very very good point but I digress. Stacy. Stacey, I'd like to hear a little more from you on this before we go to a slightly different angle here. Any thoughts on what Allison just shared? Absolutely. One of the two of the points that I wanted to make with, with what Allison was saying, I couldn't agree more on the detach. And um, as she was speaking about detaching from work, it reminded me when in my younger days, um, I, I totally remember when I had a manager who would come in and make sure that I took two 15-minute breaks and an hour lunch. And I don't know mm-hmm. what happened to that kind of atmosphere, but we don't do that anymore. I watch people sit at their desk through lunch. They, they don't get up and go take their lunches, or the company has provided an on-site cafeteria, and they don't have to go very far to get their lunch and bring it back to their desk. 
15-minute mm-hmm. breaks are out the door. So this whole idea of detaching and recharging is something that we started with, and we have now swung the pendulum so far in the other direction that we're not taking even those little, those little minutes to recharge. Um, in kindergarten, kids used to take a nap, right? What happened to our naps? I would love to have a nap again. Uh, but the thing is, Agreed. we're not taking those little moments anymore. We are not. We're just trying to keep going and keep going and keep going, and our bodies can't do that. And two of the things that you mentioned with that, with the retirees, I couldn't help but mm-hmm. notice the, the first two things you mentioned with each was social interaction. Somebody playing tennis, yes. I'm assuming it's not online tennis. I'm assuming no, not. Certainly not. <laughs> That's correct. Real they, face-to-face. Yep. They have real friends outside of their quote-unquote friends on Facebook or their LinkedIn contacts or their friends on Twitter. So it's, That's right. that social interaction is really something we need to get back to, the real-life conversations, the real-life touches with each other. We really have to get back to that. You're right, and those are the happiest people. You're absolutely right. Now, thank you for that, Stacy. Allison, I'm going to bounce back to one of your talking points. That you, ladies, you sent me such interesting information before the show, and now you know why I asked for so much, so we'd have a very robust roundtable. And I want to go to something Allison sent me. You say organizations that reduce hindrance stressors to the extent possible, such as giving employees the tools necessary to doing their work, clarifying their roles. Hello, wouldn't that be lovely all the time? Redu- Reducing interpersonal conflict at work, OMG, yes, wish we could, wish we could. And focus on building resources at various levels, uh, Allison says, are poised to not only address burnout concerns, but benefit from a more engaged workforce. So can you give some tips to the people in management positions who are listening and also to just, I'll say, everyday people, normal people in the workforce who are saying, yeah, let me go back to my manager and tell him or her what I heard on the radio today. So what (laughs) tips would you give to organizations, Allison? Yeah, well, I think, so So there's a couple ways to, when we talk about what organizations can do, I think there's a couple ways to approach it. And one is sort of at this individual level. So we're responsible for, you know, the, our own day-to-day work tasks and, and our own daily, you know, kind of rituals. And so maybe we'll get back to this, but there's there's a large literature around recovery from work stress, and there's some strategies associated with that at the individual level, as well as just some things that we can do to kind of, better separate our work from our home life. And so I think those are really important aspects at sort of that individual employee level. But then there's other things that organizations can do to kind of be, I think, more proactive about stress in the first place. And so one of the, as I said, you know, one of the things that's very important to combating this development of burnout over time is the idea of resources. And so resources can look a lot of different ways depending on what the context is. But in the workplace, Um, When we look at some of the structural features or the social features of the work environment, these can take the form of, you know, how the work is designed. So, for example, how much autonomy a person has in their role or how many uh, or how meaningful their goals are. I mean, these are all different things that are attached to kind of the day-to-day tasks that can really be consciously and proactively designed so that they're providing employees resources rather than draining those resources. In a personal level, um, you know, these are things like social support within our team or support from our leader or coaching from our leader. So these are important kind of 
interpersonal things that provide us with energy and positive mood and all a sense of efficacy, you know, all those kind of things that can be important personal resources. So just taking a look at kind of what's the climate in my organization. Are are people nice to each other? Do they help each other? Um, are are people competitive or are they really working for a common goal? And sometimes um, managers can influence that by how they uh how they model the behavior that they want to see in their employees and also how they set up goals. So is it individual goals or is it team goals? Um, so these can kind of have really drastic, actually, implications on how employees um, are motivated and, and how they're kind of interacting with each other to achieve those goals. But then there's other, you know, there's structural things at the organizational level, too. So these are things like support for or flexibility policies, um, these are things like pay. So so there's some kind of even higher level pieces, I think, that can um, affect that individual level, individual person's level of burnout. So I think it's important to kind of go from the highest levels all the way down to the lowest levels when we're thinking about mm-hmm. this and sort of take that um, kind of multi, multimodal approach and, and, and get at it at every direction that we can. Thank you, Allison. I want to bring in back our other panelist, Stacy Perrin. I have to mention Stacy is the global a global director with the People Sustainability Office of SAP. Stacy, I know it's a little late in the show, but tell us what that means. What do you do? And then I'm going to ask you a question to tag on to what Allison just suggested. Stacy, I think that's funny. Just we're talking about job roles and responsibilities, and the first there thing I thought was, do I know what I do at this company? Um, so one of my one of my roles is to help the company figure out ways to build employee trust and engagement. I, I work with our HR teams. I work with our compliance office. I work with uh, our Ombuds office, various teams within the company to try and figure out better ways to, I guess you could determine almost as, as an employee relations type role. It's also about setting expectations for your employees and making sure they know not just the don't to do at work, but what they should be doing, the behaviors that you encourage and want as part of your culture at work. Thank you very much. And now I have a very a very interesting comment from you that tags along, as I said, with the list that Allison just gave us about what companies can do. And Stacey Perrin says, if companies really care about the well-being of their employees, they would take an example from Shane Hughes and institute an email vacation. Oh, Stacey, be still my heart. Please tell me, what could this possibly mean? <laughs> yeah. Shane Hughes is the CEO of Learning and Leadership, and actually sent an email to employees telling them that internal email was forbidden for an entire week. And what better sets the tone than an email from your CEO telling you you're not allowed to check email? I mean, it's the example, right? It's it's getting that example out there for employees. In 2011, Volkswagen actually deactivated their employees' mobile email accounts after work hours to stop employees from using their mobile emails. We need to start setting these examples for employees. Organizations need to do more to be proactive, exactly as Allison said. I would also argue it's not just, it's not just tone at the top. There are studies that show that employees, employees' uh, work ethics and their engagement at work is really tied to their direct managers. And so the importance is really stressed on managers to set those examples and to show what we call tone in the middle, um, to give employees permission, not only permission, but to set that example of not checking your emails all night long. If you as a manager are answering emails while you're on vacation, but tell your employees not to, it's, it's, it's not going to work. Employees think that that's what they're expected and that you're just 
talking the talk of what the company wants them to do. We really need to do more on this. I think companies uh, need to set policies around when you should and should not be checking your email, definitely not in your car, for goodness sakes, but also the work hours around it. Set the expectation that when you leave this office, you're on your time. You need to be with your families, your friends, your hobbies, doing what you do to recharge and get back so that you can be the best employee that you can be when you come back to work. That's so interesting. I made a vow not to work all day Sunday, which was yesterday. Not all day, but of course I had to check my schedule before I set my alarm this morning. I work from my home office doing SAP radio full-time, and I checked my calendar. And in the process of checking my calendar, of course, Outlook was first set to my email, and there were about (laughs) 25 emails dated Sunday from people who were working to put together a panel for another SAP radio show next week. And I had this overwhelming (laughs) feeling of guilt why wasn't I on earlier it was Sunday what's the matter with you Bonnie why weren't you on looking at your email why weren't you part of this conversation oh my god they were talking for an hour online and you weren't there what kind of a terrible person are you and then I said to myself oh just cool it answer one or two emails set the alarm go to bed they'll still be there in the morning am I right Stacy did I do the right thing yes but what you're talking about is exactly it we've come from this culture where we started Checking emails. I remember when I got my first smartphone, my first cell phone, and email was coming through on it. And, oh, my gosh, wasn't that great? Because <laughs> then, if I was on vacation, I could kind of check email at the airport and try and get caught up before I got back to the office, right? So my right. inbox would be cleared out. I could get back to the office and start fresh. Those days are gone. We're no longer getting caught up. We're checking email and our Twitter account trying to keep up. And that's... That's an entirely different stress on our bodies, keeping up versus getting caught up. Our bodies, our minds, our hearts. And you even note here in your notes to me, Stacey, you say when your company gives you a smartphone, there's an expectation and an assumption that you are going to use it. Of course. (laughs) So there we go. Allison, anything you want to chime in on? We're going to take a break in about one minute. I want to give the two of you a chance to gather your resources and collect your thoughts before we go into the crystal ball predictions round. I don't want to toss you over the fence there that fast. So, Allison, just a a one-minute comment on anything Stacey has added. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. Well, I think Stacey brings up some really fantastic points, and it's really about managing our boundaries. And right now, those boundaries are fuzzy because we don't always have a physical location for work, and, you know, that's distinct from our location where we carry out our, our family life and our non-work life. So I think it's it's identifying where uh, we can we can set boundaries and how we can do that. So maybe it's things like putting an out-of-office response um, on our email or or, um, you know, some kind of status message on our G-chat or something like that. But I think something that just sort of comes up for me, and maybe we can touch on this later, um, or maybe we just leave it an open question and see what other people have to say. But I think is how do we best implement these kind of boundary management strategies when we're working in global companies? I just recently worked for an organization that was based in Australia, and with the time change, this becomes something that's really difficult to handle and manage. So mm-hmm. just, some, just some thoughts there. No, very good thoughts. We didn't talk about, we talked about 24-7 and always on. We didn't talk about always on everywhere. Very good point. Ladies, I am going to give you a a resources collection break. Never thought of it that way. Uh, We're going to give you about a one-minute break. We're going to come back and have, I'm going to give you a a good three, three and a half minutes each for your predictions. When we come back, it will be the crystal ball predictions round. I'll ask you if you can fast forward to the year 2020 or you tell me any 
other time in the future you see in your crystal ball. Delighted to be speaking today with two very lively and smart ladies. I'm speaking with Stacy Perrin at SAP and Allison Ellis at Portland State University. My name is Bonnie D. Graham. Delighted to be here for another live edition of HR Trends with Game Changers Radio presented by SAP. And a shout out to Sylvia Lennon and Stephen Thorne who are just tweeting their tootsies off, capturing all the wonderful words of wisdom coming from my two guests. We're going to take a break and when we come back we will do a wrap up on how to prevent burn out in the age of always on. Don't even think, oh, you know, of touching that mouse, that app, that doll. Just stick around. That's the easiest thing to say. Michael, out. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. With companies like yours competing aggressively for top talent today, HR tactics must be comprehensive and precise. Today's reality? Your organization is faced with the demands of a multi-generational and globalized workforce, diversity and inclusion policies, work-life integration challenges, and more. The bottom line? You need to attract and retain the best fit talent to support your strategies and goals, optimize your employee engagement, and become an industry-leading employer of choice. HR Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. You're enjoying HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to HR Trends with Game Changers. Here we are continuing a very important conversation about how to eliminate and banish, oh, wouldn't that be wonderful, banish burnout in this age of always on, talking to two very smart ladies, Allison Ellis, a graduate student at Portland State University in Portland, Oregon. I know how to pronounce it because I lived in Eugene. It's Oregon, <laughs> not Oregon. And Stacy Perrin <laughs> calling in from California from SAP, and she thinks she knows what her job is, but we know she's officially the global director with the People's Sustainability Office at SAP. So, Allison, Ellis, let's start with you. Look in the crystal ball, predictions on what would our topic be like, what will change by the year 2020, or you tell me how far ahead can you see in the crystal ball? Allison, go ahead. Well, I think for me, my prediction is that much like, you know, we've kind of already sort of started to talk about today, I think that there's going to be a shift from sort of this medical model, which is, is focusing on burnout and focusing on eliminating burnout. And what we're really doing there is we're talking about that shift from negative to neutral. And that is an important aspect, of course, of any well-being program and stress management program. Um, it's, it's something that we have called it, and NIOSH has called it the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, um, health protection. And so that's, it's a central part, and it's where we've focused for the last um, several decades in terms of employee well-being. But I think the focus in the future is going to be how do we not only get from negative to neutral, but from neutral to positive. And I think there's a growing trend in positive psychology. There's a, 
in, in NIOSH, they've adjusted kind of their model to be total worker, worker health, which includes an aspect of health promotion, which is that piece that we're talking about now, that neutral to positive. And I think that is really uh, where the the organizations are going. You know, we're talking less about burnout. We're talking about more, more about work engagement. Um, so how can we use these these things we know about positive psychology and how people really thrive and flourish in their work environment and stay really healthy and productive, how can we use that from our general psychology and apply it to the workplace? So that's really where I see us going. Thank you very Um, much. Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. Do you want me to talk about uh, (laughs) my my recommendations, my take-home points? I Um, sure do. Go ahead. Okay, so I think some of the things I just want to touch on again and just is to remind folks is that I think there's a lot of different levers that we have to impact burnout and to produce these higher levels of engagement. I think recovering from work stress and giving ourselves time to psychologically detach from work is an individual strategy that everyone can do. I think it's important for organizations to help facilitate that process, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we can turn the off switch on our cell phone and so and we can shut our laptop. And so those are important individual strategies that I think every individual employee can take responsibility for. And then when we talk about more systematic and foundational changes at the organization and leadership level, this is really where the organization can support employees to do that. And and we need to make the case that we are starting to already in research, but showing the connection between what happens when we allow our employees to detach and have lives outside of work and how much more of a benefit that is for employee well-being and productivity when we're back on the job. So organizations um, can train leaders to be role models and to help support their employees um, to, to find that balance. And then they can institute really proactive strategies like looking at the way the work is designed and looking broad, more broadly at the idea of well-being to to see how the functional systems in the organization are actually impacting stress and start changing those systems. Thank you, Allison. Quick question for you before we get to Stacey Perrin's predictions. Allison, millennials, I'm pretty sure you are one. I know that's a word that a lot of millennials <laughs> don't even, they don't, what? Don't call me that, please. No, we've done shows and they've said, no, I don't want to be called a millennial. Whatever generation you're in, you're in a young generation. Do you think that burnout is something that you accept will be part of your work life from the get-go, from the time you enter the workforce? I do. I think that that in some ways new new employees are undergoing a, a lot of stress because not only are they trying to keep up with all these different um, technologies and everything, but they're they don't have the baseline expertise when they first get into the workforce, and so they have a whole set of different stressors when they first come into an organization, um, and they have to make new friends and they have, they don't have those kind of built in resources that employees who have been around in an organization longer already have. Um, I think that a lot of people in today's age think that it's really, um, that they are really good multitaskers and that they can have their phone on and be texting Mm -hmm. and be G chatting and be talking to somebody at the same time. But the, the science, the cognitive science around that is pretty definitive, which is nobody's really good at multitasking. We need to be mindful of, of our situation and what we're doing and, and really focus our attention. And that's when we see the, the best results. So I think it's kind of, it's a cultural shift for this generation. And it's, it's a matter of organizations saying, no, I want, you know, I want attention and I want thoughtfulness and then I want you to really detach from that. 
Thank you, Allison. Stacy. I saved three minutes on the clock for your predictions and wrap-up. Go ahead, Stacy Perrin. I would say we hit, we've hit an era of information overload. We've gone from checking email to get caught up to checking email just to keep up. From going from a few emails to thousands of emails in your inbox, it's this never-ending cycle. And companies really need to start taking note and looking at the culture that they're setting. We need to shift from occupational cultures that are characterized by equating long hours and always available as being somebody's commitment and productivity for the company. Um, I really think that we need to better define when and where employees use their technology. We talked about this earlier. Um, and dispel this myth that you must always be on. Um, I think that the pendulum is going to swing in the other direction, right? We, we started out in this era where we needed to be available more and more and more and more. We were excited about getting our cell phones and our laptops so we could work from home and then work from vacation, and it kept swinging and swinging and swinging, and now we've hit the point where it's swinging in the other direction, where we're getting more protective of our personal time, of our personal lives, of our hobbies pendulum swinging in that other direction, and we're going to need to start setting the boundaries that Allison was talking about. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I, I remember watching a reality show not too long ago, oh my gosh, where individuals were actually becoming so addictive to some of the new technologies that were out there. This one was on selfies in particular. Uh, there was an addict on there who was addicted to taking selfies themselves, and then another one who was spending buku bucks to have cosmetic surgery so that they would look better in the selfies they were taking. It's, it's really getting to be a little out of hand, and we need to get back to the basics. And I think the great thing about technology is that it's constantly evolving. I mean, I remember in my computer class, I'm going to date myself again, but learning dot structuring, right, to write a program that would just say hello. Our first, you too? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our first cell phones, like, you learn how to, how to type numbers backwards so that you could write the hello on your little pager. Um, I know. Stacey, 10, 20 seconds, wrap up. 10 seconds. Finish up fast. Ab- Go ahead. Absolutely. So there's apps out there that are going to help you. You've got to, we've got to be on top of this and set a whole new culture for our children and for ourselves so that we can be better engaged at work and for our families. Thank you so much. Great wrap-up from both of you. I want to thank Allison Ellis at Portland State University. I know you have a bright future ahead of you, and you're already there, Stacy Perrin. Keep doing what you do at SAP. We need you. Shout-out to Sylvia Lennon and Stephen Thorne, who have been tweeting, Malcolm Kimberlin, my colleague, Michael and the Business Channel team. And let's see, uh, tomorrow we don't have any shows, live shows, but Wednesday I'll be back Wednesday morning with Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And Wednesday afternoon I'll be back with the Internet of Things with Game Changers at 3 p.m. Eastern and Thursday we finish out our week with innovating innovation with game changers. I have 30 seconds to wrap up. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, but be mindful about when and where you use your technology. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of HR Trends with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.